Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. My name is Greg. For those of you that don't know, someone said, do you need introduced? And I said, I Introduce me if you want, but uh, I am Greg, my wife Crystal and I, we are the uh, youth pastors here at Church Triumphant. Poor youth think they usually get one month off from hearing me speak, and uh, I know they look forward to that first month, or first Sunday of the month, well, guess what? They're going to have to go a whole, a whole month uh, listening to us speak, but my wife and I, we, my wife actually found Church Triumphant, um, I mean, you don't get here unless you have some intent, um, I guess you could be lost headed to Hawking Hills or something, but I mean, this isn't really a place you just drive by on your way to Walmart or, you know, you just meander out taking a, uh, you know, the dog for a walk. And uh, my wife, um, we, we had pastored for a while and, and uh, we were just looking for a place uh, to settle into in and in a new facet of just um, with our family, looking for a place that would accept us and looking for a place where where we knew we could grow together, and um, my wife actually came without me, and uh, the first time, and she um, gave me a call, and she said, "The pastor is your long lost brother." She, she said, "He's he's goofy. He doesn't stop moving," and she said, uh, "You know, the love. It was the love, and I am privileged. My family is honored." to be in a church that exemplifies the love of Christ like church tea. And for that, before I begin to minister, I just want to tell you, for my family and I, thank you. Because we were able to come and just feel loved and accepted. Thank you. And that is, I don't think there's really any more glowing recommendation that a church should ever seek that a body of Christ should ever want to hear than to say, you love like Jesus. Because that's where the rubber meets the road. And so I'm so thankful and my family is thankful for that. Well, that's enough of me uh, because this is not about me at all. When, when pastor asked if I would speak and kind of threw out some dates or whatever, and obviously I chose this day. It was as far away from, it was about the farthest date I could choose. Um, I just want to see God work today, and I know He's going to if I get out of the way and, and just deliver what God has laid on my heart. The biggest thing that, that I want to see happen is I want to see lives changed. And we have to be changed by the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful, the Bible says. It is sharp. Like a two-edged sword. It pierces, it can divide, it heals, it can do all manner of things. And in the Old Testament, even when the children of Israel would enter into the tabernacle, they were never allowed to leave the same way they came in. If they came in the north, they had to leave the south. They were never allowed to come and go out of the same door. And that was kind of symbolic of when you enter into the Lord's presence, when the Spirit of God begins to speak, when the Word comes forward, whether it's here in a, in a group setting or whether it's at home in your private moments uh, with God, you and I can't leave the presence of God. 
Like Moses said, if, if you're not going to be with us, then, then I'm not moving because I don't want to go anywhere that your spirit isn't leading me. I don't want to go anywhere that your presence isn't taking me. And so I want us to journey today for just a few moments together and let's see what the Lord would do. Father, I'm thankful for this opportunity. I pray that we're not just hearers of the word because the Bible said there would be a generation of those who would just hear but they wouldn't be doers. I want to be a doer of the word. I want to hear what you have to say, and I want to be active in that. And I pray that, that every ear would be attentive, but Lord, our hearts would be open because open hearts and open minds can be changed. And Father, I know without a shadow of a doubt, firm in my conviction, that you have something to say today and you have something to accomplish in the life of someone, of, of many who need to know, who need to feel, who need to understand. And I thank you for that opportunity. And it's in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah 29 and 11, uh, it declares that God knows the plans that he has for you and I. He said, I know those plans and, and they are for good. They're not for disaster. And those plans are to give you a hope and they're to give you a future. And that's a scripture that I've come back to many times in my life because at times, and Brian spoke so eloquently about the windshield, there are times when our focus becomes on what's behind us more than what's in front of us. And we tend to not be able to see and to know and we get shaky in, in our foundation because we don't feel like God has planned something good for us. It feels at times like our future as we perceived it has been robbed or has been taken or it's been moved or circumstances have disrupted what God wanted to do for us. And when those moments happen in our lives, uh, we need the word of God to settle us back down and to speak to us and to put us in a position where the word can speak to us and that word becomes that rock again. It becomes that steadfastness. It becomes that place that I can put my feet and I don't have to worry about the waves and the wind. I don't have to worry about the sands. I don't have to worry about elections and I don't have to worry about government and politics and those things. I can plant my feet in the word. I can plant my feet on that solid ground and I know that I'm going to be okay. And Jeremiah 29 has always been a scripture because it declares that it's the best deal you're going to get. You should take it. I'm glad I took it. If you've never taken that deal, then I would strongly urge you to consider taking that deal because any time that a God that breathed into existence, that breathed life into your lungs, that spoke to stars, moon, and the sun, that spoke to planets, that, that created what we see and things we don't see, who would say to you individually that I've got a plan for you, that I've got a future for you, and that plan is not to harm you. It's not a disastrous plan. It is a plan to grow you. It's a plan to prosper you. It is a plan plan for hope uh, that you absolutely need to survive and to thrive, uh, and it's to give you a future. Take the deal. It's a good deal. I'm glad I took the deal. I'm glad that at times when I wanted to undo the deal, that I had a relentless pursuing God that said, uh-uh, I will chase you. I will hound you. I will go into the uttermost parts of the earth. I will chase you down. I'll go into a drug house. I will go into the streets. I will walk into your bedroom. I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you. And I'm thankful that at the times that I just said, no thanks, 
that he knew I was dumb, that he knew I was losing my mind, and he still had his arms wide open. So take the deal. It's a good deal. Hebrews 12 tells us, Paul writing in Hebrews, he says, you have got to strip off the weight. He talks to us about laying down the sin and the weight. And when you break that down, it says actually to strip off. I thought about titling uh, my message stripping, but then I thought, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> I might get banned. So I, I didn't title it anything. But Paul says for us to strip off the weight that is all around us so that we can run with patience, which I'm not a runner, so I don't run unless I have to. Now, Moses, man can book it, but I'm not much of a runner, so running with patience to me make, doesn't make much sense to my natural. Um, but it says, run with patience the race that is laid out before you. Man, if we could strip weight off, the things that I've chosen to idolize and to carry, the weights in my life, in the moment that God revealed what I'm praying that he'll reveal to you today. When those weights come off, running becomes so much less of an effort. And the Bible says that he didn't blame the devil. Paul put the onus, he put the burden of proof on you and me. He told us to strip off the weights. The things that we allow us to encumber our walk with God. It's the things that we attach to ourselves. That as I try to go from point A to point B in my ministry, in where God has called me, all of a sudden I find that I'm not running at all with any kind of patience. I'm, I'm, I'm bothered by things that he had no intent for me or for you to be bothered by. And when those weights come off... Sometimes you see dancing. Sometimes you see joy. Sometimes you just see a smile that says, I was able to put something down that has really been attached to me and a part of me for so long. And so I pray today that you have the same revelation. Because revelation is, is something unique. We think revelation, if we're not careful, is something new. The Bible declares there's nothing new under the sun. We'll chase new things and, and fancy things and sharp things and shiny things because we think that's a God thing. God has pretty well spelled it out for us. He wrote a pretty sweet book. And it's in that book of life. It is in those pages, those holy scriptures that he's told us that it's going to get tough. He's told us that all manner of persecutions will come against you. He's told us that sometimes you're not going to be able to see the beginning from the end. But the beauty is it all comes back to him. He said, I'm the alpha and I'm the omega. I am your beginning. And at the same time I'm your beginning, I'm already your end. And I'm everything in between. And if you can learn faith, if you can learn to trust me, then I can fill in the gaps that you are so uh, frantic to understand that I know you can't handle. That I know you don't want to see everything that's in front of you. That's why we behold through that glass darkly. And sometimes we don't get the, the picture exactly because if God showed us everything you were going to have to go through serving him. No, can't do that. Are you serious? You want me to hold up a mic? I'm actually a shy person. People laugh when I say that. My family especially laughs. But revelation is not anything new. Revelation is illumination. 
When you go into a dark room, what's in that room has always been there. The revelation is when you flip the switch and light hits the objects in the room, you who knew nothing of what was in the room now can see. That's why I was blind and now I can see has such an awesome spiritual connotation to it because it really talks about things that have always been around me, things that have always been working for my good, a God who has always been planning my future, who has always been paving the way where there was no way. When those moments that he flips the switch and all of a sudden you see in part and you see things, that's revelation. It's nothing new. It's just that the light of God hits what's always been there. And those are the moments. That's why you can actually have somebody preach. And this makes me so frustrated. Aaron will get up and say something. Or Patrick or, or, or someone will begin to minister on the radio. And it's a scripture that I've quoted a million times. And all of a sudden it clicks. And you go, woo! And then you kind of get frustrated. Like, why did they figure it out? How could they take nine words and change lives with it? I could quote those nine words and I... Ah, it's because the switch. What has always been there in those words clicked on. It wasn't anything new. It wasn't anything fabricated by man. It wasn't some hoopla, some circus atmosphere. It was just the revelation. And so today, I pray there's great revelation. I'm going to be just taking two scenes... Always be worried when preachers say only, never. No, um, I'm just going to be taking two scenes from the earthly ministry of Christ. And when these scenes that you are very familiar with, when you see the depth in them, when the switch gets flipped, and I pray it gets flipped for all of us, it, changed, it changes everything. It changed my life. It allowed me to look at things and to come to peace with things that I couldn't really come to peace with. And if... I need to know a God who says I'm the prince of peace. I need peace. We need peace about things. We need to take that weight and be able to just say, I'm not leaving today with that weight any longer. The contrast is Peter. And you could give a nice golf clap for Peter. He, he's one of our favorites in the New Testament. Who doesn't love Peter? Peter's impetuous. Peter's a fly-by-the-seat-of-his-pants kind of guy. I mean, only Peter could be denying Christ three times to his face and then preaching Pentecost. Now, in our society, the denial would have been the end. You blew it. But with God, you don't blow it. That's why God can undo messes that we've made when we allow Him and are willing to allow Him to work in us so that our future is not crippled by our past. Because Peter blew it. Peter really blew it in the garden when he chopped off the ear of Malchus. That's a, you don't chop off the ear of a guard of the high priest and live. Peter slices his ear off. But Jesus, already knowing that Peter has to preach the first church, already knowing that the keys to the kingdom are Peter's revelation of who Jesus Christ is, is, knows that that moment just ruined his future, steps down, picks up a piece of cartilage, and the Bible says just puts it right back on the side of Malchus's head 
so that the evidence of a crime is now gone. And with no evidence, you can't charge. And with no charge, you can't take away a future. And so the times in my life and in your life that we have made an impetuous Peter kind of act where you just went crazy. God has the ability. That's why he said, I'm the same Yesterday, today, and forever. Because he can step back into your past and pick up a piece of something and put it back together so that your moment is at peace and your future is still blessed. Never think you've done anything. Never think you've wandered too far. Never think that you have messed up so badly that Christ can't just step back into your moments and heal them. And so we love Peter, though, because we see a little bit of us in Peter. He wanted it all, man. Man, he wanted everything that Jesus had. He craved it. But he just was a hothead. Now, I know some of you are just God's ambassadors to just peace and calmness. I know that you just handle all of life just, hmm. You get some, you get most Americans in a vehicle behind a wheel. And Peter shows up. We can lay somebody out, condemn them to 17 deaths, five firing squads, four torture chambers, get out of our car, just bless somebody going into McDonald's. Thank God bless you. That's, that is our American society seems to have such a Peter spirit about it because we can just go from zero to hero in such a short time and it really is the grace of God that allows us to still be used in his kingdom for his purpose and for his glory because we blow it a lot. Peter, Peter is in all of us. But we love Peter because Peter will stand up. Peter will mess up. But he'll stand up. He'll run, but he shows back up. Peter never quits. We don't like quitters. We love, we love guys and girls that'll just keep it going. Judas does not get much of an applause. Not much I can say that's going to end in <laughs> Judas. He is probably the most reviled character, human in the Bible. He for just a pittance for just a small sum, decides that momentary gratification is worth a kiss of death. And we look at the two characters that we see unfold in the New Testament around the life of Jesus very differently. In... Matthew, these intimate acts of Jesus' life, they come to life. In Matthew chapter 16, you see unfolding Jesus asking his disciples, whom do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And apparently 11 of them couldn't figure it out yet. I don't know where you fit into the classroom setting, but the 11 at least couldn't, well, you know, they, they, as a teacher, I get it. 
I did it as a student. I see it all the time. It's where you say an answer and you try to get the teacher to start nodding. And so you know you're, it's like hot and cold within one second. You just, and then you keep, and you're like, yeah, I got it. And you'd have no clue what you just said. You could just tell it made the teacher happy, moving on, moving on. So I don't know if they were having that moment, like, Jesus, you're the guy that heals the dead, yeah, and you raise the dead, and you open blinded eyes, and, and Peter, I don't know his reaction, I like to picture things, I'm a pretty vivid imagination kind of guy, but finally Peter's either just tired of him, or it's his one moment to be that guy in class. That one moment, man, I'm going to get it right. Smoke all these fools. And he's like, you are the Christ, the son of God. In you is all the fullness of the Godhead. You're like God in the flesh. And Jesus just says, man, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. You get it. And he says, on that revelation, I'm actually going to build my kingdom. Upon the revelation of you knowing actually the depth of who I really am is where I'm going to build my kingdom. And Peter's probably like, I got it. And he's probably like looking at the other 11 like, what's up? Mm, Dinner on me. Actually, you're buying. I'm picking. Man, he had to be so smooth. But in verse 23, and I don't know if we're able to throw that up on the on the big screen. Oh. And then from there on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that he had to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders. Talk about a, like a buzzkill here. I mean, Peter's still like, found out who he was. I know all the depth of who he really... And then Jesus starts basically saying that the teachers of the religious law, he would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now watch Peter, fresh off his moment of glory. Peter took him aside. So it's kind of private. It's intimate because Peter kind of just was like that. Peter was the guy that will just pull you aside. Peter's also the guy that'll say it in front of 10,000 people, but he at least discretion being the better part of valor, pulled him aside and he begins to reprimand Jesus. Can't do that. Can't reprimand Christ. He just had a revelation of who he was. And now he's Ripping him. And he says, forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Look what Jesus says to what often Bible scholars will say was really the BFF of Jesus. Probably the closest of the disciples. The one upon which Jesus said, upon your revelation of me, I'm going to build in the keys to the kingdom lie. And he says, and he looks right at Peter and he says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from the human point of view and not from God's point of view. Get away from me, Satan. Boom! Stunner. We get no glimpse of Peter's reaction. He just had his moment in class. At least he had the, at least God gave him the grace to allow him to pull him to the side. So it's just a one-on-one moment. But whatever he came back to the group, 
Peter, where are we going? <laughs> I had to crush him. What a thing to be called. And Jesus didn't use words in vain. Jesus doesn't say things for mere just entertainment purposes. He doesn't say things so that you and I can hear him speak. He doesn't say things just so he can fill up voids of silence. He speaks and it is. He moves and it happens. He declares and it just is. And so Peter is called Satan. Jump ahead 10 chapters in the same book. And Matthew, I love Matthew's account of the Gospels because it gives you such a unique perspective. If you jump ahead into Matthew chapter 26 and we see the betrayal scene unfolding in the garden. And Jesus says, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, he arrives with a crowd of men with swords and clubs. And they'd been sent by the leading priests and the elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal, and he said, you'll know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss, often referred to as the kiss of death. And look what Jesus says to him. Matthew gives you an account that isn't in the other Gospels where we see in in the movies correctly when Jesus says, you betray now the Son of Man with a kiss. But look what Jesus declared to Judas, my friend. He calls Peter Satan, and he calls Judas friend. And he says, do what you have come to do. And it says, the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him, and we we know how that plays out from there. Your best friend, the one that wanted nothing more than to just be with you, learn from you, sit with you, carry out everything you wanted him to carry out, you have rebuked him and called him Satan. The one that sold you out. The one that caused you to be in a garden begging, God, take this cup from me. When he comes in the greatest act of betrayal man has ever known, You greet him, not silently, not awkwardly, but you call him friend. See, if there's no Judas, there's no betrayal. If there's no betrayal, there's no arrest. If no arrest, no trial. If there's no trial... There's not a sentence. Without the sentence of death, there's no cross. Without no cross, there's no payment. With no payment, we're done. See, Jesus knew something. He could see something that you and I just can't see with natural eyes. Peter wanted Jesus not to die because who wants their best friend to die? 
Who wants the person that they desire to be with the most to not be here? Peter acted so much in the flesh, so much in his carnality. Jesus, don't die. We can set up some cool kingdom stuff here, man. We can change the world. We can, because Peter could only see out the windshield just a little bit down the road. And Jesus knew that that spirit that tries to keep us from being everything God's called us to be is really a spirit straight from the heart of Satan. Because you and I have been called to achieve kingdom work. We've been called to win and to disciple and to send. And the Bible says that a man that would save a soul is wise. It's forgiven of much. There's no greater calling that any of us have. It's not to hold a mic and preach. It's not just cafe. It's not just Sunday school. There's a greater ministry that we all have, and those things feed into it. But that is, man, i got to find somebody and share with them who Jesus Christ is. And Peter, not being able to see in his natural, just said, Jesus, man, don't die. I don't want you to die. And Jesus knew that that spirit cripples. It tries to contain. It tries to hold back. And then Judas. There has to be a Judas. To get to Calvary, one of the most ugly, beautiful scenes, all wrapped in one, it's an enigma. It's bloody, it's horrible, it's disastrous, it's an innocent person being put to death and then having to, beyond that, even have the weight of the sin of the world, everything behind, present and forward, put on him in that bitter cup that he had to drink, but in it was the greatest act of love. There has to be a Judas to propel Jesus to his destiny. And when it clicked for me, when the light came on, I realized that every event in my life that I called bad, that I called disastrous, that I carried that weight of that hurt and that pain and that knife in my back and the moments that I wanted to run from and get away from and I didn't want to remember and they bogged me down and they weighed me down and they were decisions that I made that weren't good and they were people that put a knife into my back and twisted it. They were the people that I counted on the most. They might have even, for some of you, been a spouse. It might have been a a boss. It might have been your own children. Who knows in your life was that close like Jude that put it in your back and just just for whatever momentary pleasure said, I'm taking you out. It's when I realized that without the Judases in my life, they drove me to be a better man. They drove me to be a better husband. They drove me to be a better father. Why? Because they drove me to my knees. They drove me to a point where I had to say to those moments in my life that I don't want to talk about and I don't want to remember and I can't come to peace with, I had to look at those moments and say, friend, friend, I didn't want it to happen. I wish it had never happened. But at the moment I'm able to take that weight off that holds me back. Somebody may have did something or done something to you as a child. They may have done something to you as an adult. You may be scarred and burdened from things that you just keep putting up wall after wall after wall. And you can worship harder. You can worship faster. You can jump higher. You can read your Bible more and more. But it's at the moment of revelation that all of a sudden we have to act on it. 
Why would Jesus ever use the word friend with Judas? Because he knew that Judas had to be there. There has to be a Judas. There has to be the moments in our life that cause us to really examine our Christianity. They really cause us to examine, am I all in or am I playing the game? Because those moments hurt. Those moments are confusing why somebody would do that. And then there's the Peters in our life. They're well-intended. They love us. But they constantly say, no, don't. That's crazy, man. Don't do that. That's a, that dream, nuts. That vision, whew, back off of that because here's why. And they lay out a very logical, methodical plan of why what you just told him was in your heart that God put there that you know in your moment with him he birthed into you and they say well that's dumb and I'm telling you this because I love you and oftentimes we allow the Peters in our life to be our spiritual mentors we allow them to almost usurp the authority that only Jesus Christ has they almost become like a pastor of where they are, are giving us, inf- but all they're doing is trying to hold us back because they don't want us to get hurt. And that spirit, Jesus was very swift and harsh on. You're keeping me from my destiny, Peter. I came so I could die. I came so that I could shed a drop of the only innocent blood to ever walk this earth. And you just want me to just hang out and do parables and healings and there's something greater I've come for than all of that because Jesus knew that it didn't really matter if a man walked or if someone was pain free but it does matter the condition of their soul and Peter just didn't get it yet and Judas in a weird crazy kind of way almost seemed to get it And I'm not here to say Judas is now the hero of church tea and Peter is some beast of men. What I'm saying is when the light comes on, when you and I are able to look back on the worst moments of our lives where somebody has hurt you and hurt you bad, I bet that we can see out of that moment there was a drawing closer to God. Because you're going to run to something when it hurts. When it's deep and painful, you're going somewhere. And when I saw this for me, I was able to almost instantly make peace with every moment, with every situation that that I would have called at that moment a horrible, tragic, bad, ugly thing that I don't want to talk about and I wish had never happened. I was able to look at all of those collectively and individually and just look at those moments and those people that hurt. Take a deep breath and just say, friend, thank you because you changed the course of my life without knowing it. With every evil intent in the world, you actually drove me for what God intended for evil. Or what, I'm sorry, for what the devil... For what the devil intended for evil, God delights in bringing good out of. The greatest act of betrayal became the greatest act of love. 
And I thought, my God, how many times do we carry the weight of just horrible, awful stains, decisions, and regrets when the person that you said I will to, that the person that told you they loved you, just did you wrong. How do I reckon that? How do I, how do I go forward? How do I ever trust again? You do it when the revelation of the Word of God hits your life and you can make peace and you can take off that weight and you can drop that and say, you know what? Ultimately, it's the craziest thing. My friends aren't going to understand it. All the Peters in my life aren't going to understand it. But I could literally look at that person that thinks they've got me down, that thinks they did the worst thing they could have done to me. And I can say, friend. And you know what? It takes all the power away from that moment. It takes all of the ability to cripple us away from the person. It takes that situation that when you're praying hard, when you think you're getting ready to bust through into God's glorious light, that situation that always brings you back down, you're able to now say, friend, thank you. I drew closer to the cross. I ran to Christ. I had to get into the word and dig to survive. You brought good out of my worst moment.